0: You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence. For inviting us into this space today being near to us. We thank you, Lord, for this body, this family, sisters and brothers, all, all included because you have included us, brought into family, brought into a body because you have made it so. What a gift, Lord Jesus, to be your people. So Lord, as we, as we come to your word together now, may these words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, last Sunday, Adam helped us see how the unimaginably good news of Jesus calls us into a particular way of being in the world, uh, the way of the kingdom of God. And this way of the kingdom of God has everything to do with where we are headed. It has to do with our destination, where we end up, our salvation and our eternal hope. It has to do with that. But it also has everything to do with the here and now. As we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, right here in the middle of all the world's kingdoms, right. So, that brings us headfirst into a conversation about the ethics of the kingdom of God. And these are not, these ethics, these are not, and they cannot be commands or prohibitions that decide who's in or who's out of the kingdom. That's not what they are. Okay? Colossians has already talked about that. They are not an entrance exam. These ethical demands, they flow directly from the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because that happened, because Christ died and rose again, that is why this is how we should live. So it's not how we get in, but it is how we now live as part of the new family of Jesus. This is just sort of family agreement stuff. What is it like to be part of the kingdom? And as Adam walked, through us, walked us through last week, the first two verses of Colossians 3 call us to set our hearts and our minds on things above not on earthly things. And then verses 5 through 10 name the many ways of the heart and the vices that we are to put to death as citizens of the new kingdom of God who belong to Jesus. So perhaps they're not easy things to simply put to death, that list that Adam gave us last week from Colossians 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, idolatry, rage, anger, malice, Slander, filthy language, lying. For any of us who have struggled to control our thoughts, our emotions, or our words, has anybody ever struggled to control your thoughts, your emotions, or your words? I hope everybody is like in agreement on that. You don't have to like raise your hands, but yes. Um, it's not easy. We know that they're not easy beasts to tame, but Paul is actually calling us not just to tame them, but to put them to death. But even for citizens of Christ's kingdom, that's not an easy thing to do, right? And I acknowledge that. Um, perhaps you've heard the phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Anybody heard that phrase? Or idle hands are something. You know, there's fill in the blank on devil's something. I believe that a similar principle can be true of idle hearts and idle minds, not just idle hands, right? So ours is a very active faith. So to simply abstain from bad things, That's a good thing in itself, to abstain from bad things, stop doing bad things. That's good, okay? We should stop doing bad things, right? But to simply do that, to only do that, it it can't be our totality or our end game. Because whenever we stop doing something, whenever we repent from something, it leaves a void, right? Stopping doing something leaves, leaves some sort of a void of time, some sort of a void in our heart, some sort of a void in our mind, some sort of a void of some sort that needs to be filled, that begs to be filled. And those voids sometimes get filled up with other bad things, right? We stop doing one bad thing and it gets filled up with another. Why? Because we don't always naturally course correct toward the good. Sorry. Maybe some of you do. And sometimes we do. But we don't always naturally course correct toward the good. Sometimes we get rid of one thing and replace it with another bad thing. And that, my friends, is not what God desires for his people. He doesn't desire for us to just move from one vice to another or one lesser vice to another. Putting such things to death requires a next step, a filling of some kind, which brings us to today's passage, starting with verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul nearly always begins with identity when he's talking to the people. Who are you? I want, you to, I want to remind you of who you are. We do things because of who we are. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's an anchor for our lives and for our souls And so for centuries, the easiest marker of this reality would have been bearing the name of Israel, right? I am part of Israel, God's chosen people, and that is why I live the way that I do. And in Christ, we, many, have now been grafted into that chosen family, right? that's A lot of New Testament theology is about how how Gentiles and other people can be grafted into that family, God's chosen family. So to be in Christ, to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, means something for our identity, right? Does it mean something to say I'm a Christian? Being a Christian is supposed to mean something. Otherwise, we would never derisively hear the phrase so-called Christians, right? Because with it, with claiming the name of Christian, there come expectations of behaving a certain way or living a certain way or being a certain way. And so, because of who we are, because of our identity in Christ, we are to clothe ourselves a particular way. Okay, And no, I'm not talking about that a breadcrumb and fish shirt that Adam mentioned last week. And I'm not talking about the, the Reese's logo ripoff that says Jesus on it. I'm not talking about that. That's not the kind of clothing I'm talking about. I mean, you can wear that if you want. But this clothing yourself is directly tied to the things that we've been called to put to death in the previous section. Okay, Put to death these things. And then put on these things. See the parallel? Put off these bad things, and put on, another way, another uh, phrase for clothing yourself, to put on these things, put off and put on, to clothe yourself with virtues. And it's not to say that these are like optional outfits that we get to pick, like, well, I'll wear gentleness today, I'll put that on today, but I'll leave it in the closet tomorrow, right? That's not the kind of wardrobe we're talking about. We're talking about putting these things on every single day, perhaps a little bit like the armor of God in Ephesians 6, right? This idea of like robing up with certain, certain virtues, certain protections every single day to go out into the world and try to live according to Jesus. As citizens of kingdom, of the kingdom of those in Christ, because this is how, this is how followers of Jesus live. That's the way we are to be in the world, okay? So the things we are to clothe ourselves with, the garment to put on ourselves are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We put off the thoughts, emotions, and words which are damaging to one another, which damage the body of Christ. We get rid of all that and instead we put on these thoughts, these emotions, these words. So the first word is compassion. Compassion comes from one of my very favorite Greek words, which is, See why it's one of my favorites? Splanknizomai, which has to do with the churning of the bowels or the guts in response to seeing something. So splanknizomai, it even sounds like very like guttural, right? Compassion is that feeling you get when you hear about something difficult that somebody's going through, right? That pit in your stomach, when you hear about something, some sort of tragedy, when somebody shares something with you that's hard, that thing that you feel, that is compassion. That is splank. You can't fathom what's going on. Well, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be people who care and feel deeply about things that are going on in the world or all around us. So it makes sense that if compassion is the first word, that kindness would go with it, okay? Kindness would also be a defining marker of Christ's people. And kindness. It's not the same thing as Midwestern nice, okay? You, you know about Midwestern nice? Adam alluded to it last week, right? Moving to New York, you like realize how exactly ingrained that is in your body, in your, in your whole soul. Um, Midwestern nice is not saying what you really feel or mean for fear of offending people. And I, I'm not telling you all to stop having tact, okay? That's not what I'm saying today. Because tact is appro- appreciated and appropriate, okay? I like it. I appreciate it. I am very Midwestern nice myself, as you may know. Um, but the sort of kindness that Christ is calling us into is, goes beyond that. It goes the next level, right? It calls us into a posture towards others that is genuinely seeking one another's good, right? It is uh, seeking one another's flourishing. It's ultimately, hopefully, kindness is something that draws other people to Jesus even. Paul states in Romans chapter 2 that God's kindness his kindness actually leads us to repentance that kindness is something that can be so compelling that it makes people want to change their lives that's that's kindness and then the next three humility gentleness and patience are the last three virtues they go together quite nicely humility is not arrogance right to be arrogant is to be not humble. That's pretty obvious. Arrogance says, look at me, look how great I am, look how much better I am than others. Puffs up the self over other people. But another way to not be humble beyond arrogance, the obvious one, is false humility, which we talked about a couple weeks ago in Colossians. Because to be falsely humble is another way to be not humble. Because it also puffs up the self. By pretending to be more humble than we actually are, Right? you may have seen this move before, where I may talk about how much of an awful person, how much of a worm, or how much of an unlovable person I am, specifically so that others will come in and tell me how great I am and build me back up, being a very manipulative way to do it. And, and you know, you, you, sometimes we come by that honestly, right? It's not like we're trying to connive other people into doing this, but it happens all the time, right? But to use humility to puff up the self, that's false humility. Real humility, though, is a posture of, open-handedness a considering uh, philippians 2 says considering others better than yourself it's a way of seeing ourselves and the world as they truly are not saying oh i have to elevate myself above somebody else to feel better but like actually like looking and saying oh my goodness look at the gifts that that person offers the world look at the gifts that i can offer and being okay with what is true what is right and what is real and not having to knock anybody down or build anybody up or specifically to build myself up. I'm okay being seen exactly for who I am if I'm truly humble. The humble person easily puts on gentleness and patience, right? That's why these these all go together really well. Because the humble person doesn't need to be defensive. You can be gentle and patient if you don't have to defend yourself. If I'm truly humble, I don't need to fight and claw to be seen a certain way. I don't need to be in a rush or a hurry to take control of everything and to protect my brand. I can be gentle with people and I can be patient with others precisely because I know that all things are under Christ's control. So we put on these things every morning. Every morning when we wake up. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We put these things on because we have been transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, those things are connected, right? Because of what Jesus has done for us, we put on these clothes every day because we want to live out that way, that way of being in the world. But the next bit is even more obviously connected to the work of Jesus. So verse 13. Verse 13 says, Bear with one another and forgive one another If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you all know the 1986 Janet Jackson hit, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Yes? A few people? Yeah? Come on. There you go. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. Most of us can relate to the question she poses, right? Right? What have you done for me lately? We ask it of other people. We ask it of God sometimes. What have you done for me lately? Sometimes when the people in our lives ask again and again and again, we start to, we start to question if we're in a lopsided relationship, right? Miss Janet's question may come to our mind. What have you done for me lately? Um, perhaps it's an obvious point, but I think it's good to remind ourselves, especially in our petty less kind, less compassionate, less humble, less gentle, and less patient times, because we all have those times, right? Then no matter how bad it's looking, if we feel abandoned by God or have somehow lost touch or with connection to the goodness, to his goodness, it's always true and will always be true that the Lord has forgiven us. And unless you're the type that never needs to be forgiven, anybody want to say that? No, I don't really Kind of past that. I don't really need to be forgiven anymore. Unless you never need to be forgiven, He has done it for you lately. Right? He has forgiven you lately because you've needed to be forgiven lately. Right? Lord, you've forgiven me today. Right? So, yes, the Lord is constantly forgiving us, constantly active in our lives. So, when the gospel calls us to forgive others, then, when it calls us to forgive people who have actually wronged us, Remember, forgiveness implies that there is something that needs to be forgiven, Forgiven, right? It means that something bad has occurred. It's quite the opposite of saying no big deal. To forgive someone is the, is the opposite of saying no big deal. It's saying you have actually wronged me and I forgive you. And I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. And I don't know if you need to hear that or need to know that, but that is so important the hurt may be a big deal, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, I can tell somebody else, I forgive you. Because I've been forgiven so much. All of my rebellious and childish and harmful, thoughtless behavior, because God has forgiven me of all that, I can forgive you of the thing that you've done to me. So any grievance, no matter how awful it may be, can be overcome because of what Jesus has done for us and what he continues to do Every single day, which is, forgive. Okay. Verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And over all these virtues, So I think of this as like the overcoat or the robe of the virtues, which pulls the whole outfit together, right? That's love. It makes the whole thing work, is love. It's the binding agent which holds all of the other virtues together. And love, it makes sense because love is such a multifaceted thing. right? C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book about the four different Greek words for love. Uh, An English thesaurus would give you tens of synonyms for love that get at like some aspect of it or some opposite aspect of it depending on the cultural uh, definition of love. But love is a multifaceted thing, right? But it, it includes aspects of all these other things we've already talked about, right? Love, to love is to demonstrate kindness, right? To love is to be compassionate. To get all splunk nizomai when when you hear about something happening in somebody's life, right? To love is to to be humble. To love is to be gentle and patient. Love compels us to, to live that way, to live in all those ways. Love sees clearly. Love creates intimacy. Love is active and it is the sustaining force behind any good and godly relationship. John, the biblical author, goes so far to say that God is love. And if God is love, it's pretty obvious that love would be the whole thing that binds everything together, right? If God is behind it, of course! Love binds it all together. This passage doesn't give us all the Bible's teaching on love, and I'm not going to today either. You can read about Paul's theology of love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. You You may have read that chapter before. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is patient. Love is kind. You've heard these words before. But as we talk about love as this thing that binds all these virtues together, I think Paul is intentionally circling back to what he talked about back in verses 9 and 10, which is this. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Put on the new self. This whole outfit, all these things we're clothing ourselves, are about putting on the new self in Christ. So to put on all these virtues, any of them, is to put on a new self. To live in love is to live as a new creation. To experience true love, and I don't necessarily mean romantic love, but that certainly can be included But to experience the love that the Scriptures are talking about here is to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God and the new creation that Christ is growing right here in the middle of the old one, the old kingdoms. Love, anchored in kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, is evidence of the kingdom of God. So when somebody in your household maybe does that thing that drives you nuts for the hundredth time today and you're ready to snap, but you choose patience instead, right? Because you got to do it sometimes. If you choose patience instead, by the way, I'm the one that's doing the thing a hundred times in this scenario, if you're wondering. Um, you are putting on the new self in Christ by choosing to be patient, by being able to somehow overcome what's boiling inside you and being patient. You're putting on the new self in Christ. Love is not just an emotion that flitters in and out of our hearts when it's convenient for us. No, love is a revolutionary thing. Love is the kingdom coming into our lives because God is love. All right. section isn't quite done yet. So verse 15. Now, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So peace and thankfulness. And peace and thankfulness are talked about as an inside out thing, something that starts inside and moves outward. He says, Let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. Each of you, in your own heart, let Christ's peace rule in your hearts, since you are called to live at peace with one another. He doesn't call us to stop fighting out of our own strength or willpower, or just because the church people's bickering is annoying Paul, and he says, Just stop that. That's not what he's saying. This is a call to genuine peace, deep peace that comes from the heart, which comes from the hearts transformed by Christ, unified in Christ and brought into one body in Christ. This is all part of putting on the new self in Christ. The old self may have been content with simply being nice, playing nice, midwestern nice maybe. Might have been okay with that. But the new self actually wants real peace, real Actual peace. In the new creation, we fight hard to be at peace, each of us in our own hearts and with each other. And I think that is all easier if we simply adopt the practices of these last verses. So let's go to verse 16 now. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts in your hearts so these are anchor practices of a loving and peaceful community teaching admonishing singing practicing gratitude centering it all in the father and the son and the holy spirit you may notice some similarities between that description and what we do here when we gather on sundays right there's some overlap and that's that's quite intentional Right? We do these things because the Bible calls us to do them, right? Because being part of the kingdom calls us to do them. There's time for teaching. There's time for admonishing. There's time for singing and giving thanks and hopefully enacting our peace as one body as we come to the table. We do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Being an active part of the community that does this is part of how we put on the new self and live into our identity as new creation in Christ's kingdom, okay? So, as an example, when I was 16, uh, I first really started taking my relationship with Jesus very seriously when I was about 16 years old. Um, I remember specifically having this intimate encounter with the Spirit while on my knees in the youth room, the church basement at 316 Wood Road in Rockford, Illinois, First Cove, that was a season in my life where I felt so deeply connected to Jesus, and I also felt a call to ministry as a 16-year-old. And guess what? Here I am. So I guess that worked out. Thanks, thank God. He's He's the faithful one here. Um, I had also been wrestling with this deep discontent with the amount of time and energy that I was putting into the game of basketball. Um, for various reasons, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. It felt like a burden. But I was only doing because I was pretty good at it, and you may have noticed I'm tall. I didn't have to point that out to anyone, did I? Um, but I, I really sensed a peace about giving up basketball my junior year of high school. It was a difficult thing to do, getting emotional about it, actually thinking about it right now. Wow, didn't expect that. Look at God. All right. Um, but I was quite confident that it was the right thing to do That fall. Suddenly, I had all this time on my hands that I'd never had before. Three sport athlete, you know, just doing the whole busy thing all the time. And some kids in my youth group started talking about starting a band. Hmm. And I recognize that some of you weren't even alive in the late 90s for the brief moment when Christian ska was at its apex. But I assure you, whether you were around for it or not, it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, I tell you all this because I learned something meaningful in that season related to this passage. Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I was like practicing that. Not like, not because I had read this verse and thought, oh, I really need to do that in order to get closer to Jesus. It just was an overflow of what God was doing in my life. And we had to do it. And we were dorks and we had so much fun. Um, it became a spiritual foundation in my life gratitude, praise. It became a space to put on the new self in Christ. Am I suggesting that you start a Christian ska band in this economy? No, I am not. I am not suggesting that. But, you know, am I suggesting that I am still in a Christian ska band? No, I am not. No. But I really hope you'll find your thing for this season, this season of your faith in your walk with Jesus. Um, you, you, I am. It's, it's correct. I'm no longer in a, in a band of any kind, actually. This is what I do now, right? But in this season, is there a way for you to draw near to Jesus, to take off the old self and put on the new self? What's one way that you can just give yourself over to that's just going to be like, this, just to nourish your relationship with Jesus? to to dig in deeper. What does it look like? It may just be one simple change in your life, but it could be powerful. If you find an outlet where you can love with all your heart, where you can practice peace, where you can sing with gratitude, where you can forgive courageously, where you can teach and admonish with whatever wisdom you may have, I hope you feel free to do it. Because that's what it looks like to live out verse 17, the last verse of our passage today, which is, whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. A little twist on the story I just told. It could have been basketball. I could have stayed playing basketball and glorified God in that. That's not what I sensed God asking me to do in that moment, but right? It doesn't have to be like an explicitly Christian thing. Whatever you do, your work, your school, your areas of study, your hobbies, the way you live your life, the way you live in relationship with your neighbors, all of that, whatever you're doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever plow you put your hand on tomorrow, whatever activities you give yourself over to at the end of the day, however you interact with your loved ones and your neighbors, do it all in the name of Jesus, all things with great love, because this is who we are already in Jesus. That's who we are in Jesus. This is the new self. This is the new creation. This is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being. so strong and so powerful. but Thank you for being the first one to demonstrate these virtues, for being the compassionate one, for being so full of kindness and gentleness and patience, for being the one who forgives us, not calling us to forgive out of our own willpower, but out of our own forgiveness for being the one who demonstrates peace, who shows us how to live at peace, even with people who don't want to be at peace with us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to live as your family, to live as your children, your daughters and sons, to live as one body, to live together here in the church, and all of our churchly activities, and our home groups, and special events. But also, to be able to live it wherever we go, and in whatever we do. To bear your name as your children. We thank you. And I ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you move in some hearts this morning. If there's a space that you want one of us to enter, if there's a conversation you want one of us to have, if there's a a stirring that you're putting on anybody's heart today, I pray that that person will feel free to answer it. We'll feel free to explore it. We'll feel free to follow you into wherever you are leading. For you are the one we follow. We are your disciples, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.